such as network, network hard, network like there, like there's no tomorrow because ultimately people are good. People want to help. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and have clarity out of confusion. Because of this, founders can have the life they deserve. Clarity is what I'm really all about, and this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and even more hard work, to a European Ivy League business graduate and an expert on seven different psychological therapies with a great corporate job and a part-time serial entrepreneur. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. On this podcast, I'm privileged to interview hundreds of amazing people from members of the Forbes Technology Council, Google executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn C-suite executives to Fortune 100, to Financial Times reporters and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, even from the Vatican Church, congressional candidates, and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world, all are welcome here and thank you all so much for the support after all this hard work this podcast is now ranking highly on apple in the entrepreneurship category top 200 in san francisco top 100 in australia top 100 in singapore top 60 in germany top 50 in canada top 50 in the united kingdom and top in many other places this podcast is really about having clarity conversations, which is what I'm known for, clarity of where you are now, clarity on the right next step to take, clarity out of confusion and hesitation, and clarity of marketing when we're speaking about business. So let's begin. My guest today is Nick Sterlacci. From Adelphi University to Morgan Stanley, APG Asset Management, Sumitomo, Mitsui Banking Corporation and now a VC at Nanbond Ventures. Nick is previously the founder of Politically. So clearly his main interests are tech, venture capitalism, and politics. Nick, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing great. And I think you, you really summed up my, my main interest uh, pretty clearly. That's, that's what I like, venture capital, tech, and uh, politics. And I like to really position myself at the the forefront of those three things. And uh, yeah, doing really well. Happy to be here. I'm also happy to have you here. And I would like to dive a bit more into your mind and experience. So my favorite question to do that is these days in this period, what do you seem to be thinking about a lot 
because whether it's that stage in your life or it's something that demands that you think about or it it's getting clearer and clearer or more valuable to you, what could be that thing? Yeah, no, Aziz, that's a great question. I, I, I do I do find myself sitting and thinking a lot of the the problems the world faces, uh, personal things I, I think about, and uh, I think there are a few main things I'm think I'm thinking about, such as income inequality, how are and how that relates to venture capital and and funding, where that's a huge issue, where there's this not there's not enough access to capital for. Um, underserved communities, underrepresented founders. So that's one thing I'm thinking about. But uh, I think the real main thing I'm thinking about recently is um, passion and how it relates to someone's career path. And you see people working nine to five jobs, unhappy with their careers. So where does that line, where is that line between finding your passion and uh, making a living? And that's sort of what I'm thinking about for myself, what do I want my next move? What career makes me happy or what hobbies make me happy? And I think that's how you, people should look at life is pursuing the things that, that make them happy. It's really funny because right now I'm in Dubai and I'm advising this member of the royal family here. And he had the same thing where he said, well, after a lot of talking together and like diving deeper into this, and analyzing, we found out that there are stages in life where later on, when you become an investor, you invest money or whatever that will bring you the most ROI. But when you're going to be involved with it personally, if it doesn't fire you up, and he had a lot of investments that he didn't have passion for, and that led him to not care or uh, like support or advise or um, help, help them in the right way to grow because he had no interest. And therefore, even to people who are not making a living, it's a really relevant issue. And if I heard you correctly, there are two main things, income inequality, as well as the lack of access to capital for underrepresented minorities, as well as underprivileged people. That's one thing. And the second, whether for yourself or for others, it's the gap or the link or the intersection between, um, I think it's called ikagai, which is uh, doing what you're good at, doing what the world will pay you for, doing what the world needs and uh, doing wherever the opportunity could be uh, there. So for you, it's finding whether your hobbies, your passions, your interests, we live in a world where there is so much opportunity and 8 billion people almost who have access to the internet. So we shouldn't live in a standardized um, mass culture where we satisfy the average. We can create niches that are based on our passions. Tell me more about that and if I understood you correctly as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, you pretty much summed that up pretty well. And I agree with you. And the, so there's the, the internet, but um, which is so wide and there like you said, access to 8 billion people have access to it. So there is an opportunity for those 8 billion people, at least a percentage of them, to, to go out and create something amazing with technology tools, with I know you're, you're big on to no code. There, there's all this opportunity to create something amazing that can lead to generational wealth from what they've built with this technology. And with that being said, there's also so much capital. I mean, me and you both know how 
how much money there is in the world. There's plenty to go around. There's multi-billionaires where there's so much capital to capital to go around. So I think investing should be a little more equal. Funding the these ideas and these these concepts and these MVPs of Black, Latino, women um, founders and we are seeing a, a trend toward that it, it's moving in the right direction. And there's thesis driven uh, invest, um, VC funds that are only investing in uh, underserved communities. But I think the, although it's moving in the, the right direction, there's so much more room to go. And uh, that doesn't even go to just minority communities that can go to, to anyone who may not have the, the opportunity to raise a friends and family around where that that's really there. They're at, um, there, there's like not room for them to, to grow without building that friends and family around. So I think we just need to, to open up capital to, to everything if the idea is scalable. Thank you. And that's such an important topic. Mm-hmm. Let's unpack it step by step. Yep. First, why do you feel that traditional VCs or the non-thesis driven have funds are not investing in minority um creators and MVPs and people in those parts of the entrepreneurship sector and niche. Yeah. And uh, I think, and that's, it just boils down to the, how the VC industry was created. It's so network driven and prior career driven, where if you have a large network and, and friends who are, who are venture capitalists, you're going to get that. You're going to, and yeah, you do deserve it. And I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from the the people who have huge networks and who've worked at Google, Stripe, and the, these big tech companies, they definitely deserve that funding they're getting. I think we need to to open it up to people without networks. Um, and I think that starts with VCs allowing cold emails to, to come from founders. And we're moving in the right direction, but there are still a lot of VC firms that um, don't accept cold cold emails. And it's, it's really network and connection driven. And I guess I should... I should say, if anyone wants, I do accept cold emails as a as an investor, and would would love to have any conversations with founders. That's really funny that you mentioned that, mm-hmm. because I remember when I was doing my masters of science in entrepreneurship and new business venturing in the Rotterdam School of Management, we had one of the best Dutch entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, and what he was saying is, your first venture. You won't make any money, but it gives you access to the network that will fund your second venture. So in many ways, the old way or whatever to, to for people who didn't have that network was somewhat to sacrifice their first venture in order to get access to the networks that will fund their second idea and third and fourth. What do you think about that strategy? Yeah, I mean, and I agree totally from my, and I could take my own personal experience here where, um, uh, I guess I did work in banking previously to to starting politically. And banking, you, you make good connections, but not not really deep within the, the tech and venture capital industry. So I sort of went into my first startup with, little to no connections in, in tech, politics, um, VC. And along the lines, the about the two years I, I was built politically, the, the connections I made and the, the friendships I made along the way, they really do go a long way where uh, I, my current job came from a connection that I, I made while, um, while working on politically. So it's, I do agree where 
if I started politically now with all the connections I have, that could have been a, a 10x company than than what it was. So um, hopefully soon I might launch something else and uh, use my network to uh, to help that along the way. And let's speak about that mm-hmm. in particular, because I have been looking at this where there are a lot of people who worship the big entrepreneurs and don't realize that a lot of the major moments in their life happened because of some lucky event through their network. I even had here um, an Amazon and Google executive who said each one of those jobs, he was having coffee, uh, a coffee meet with one of his people in his network. And they told him, oh, there is an opening in Amazon or, oh, we, we need like XYZ at Google. Would you like to <laughs> to apply? And that got him his job. It wasn't like sending 300 CVs, spamming them randomly or whatever, or one of the biggest robotics uh, startups in Europe. I was speaking with the founder and I told him there is a lot of worship for him as a person. How did he get his big break? And I made sure to say that because it's like the in, in Venice when they used to create the first corporations, which were basically uh, to spread the risk for the ships that were going to go trade in case they will sink, etc. They said with each ship, we're spinning the wheel of fortune and we will know we force it to give us a result with each one, which means there is 50% is luck and 50% is skill. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, actually, someone told us there is this big um, contest for the best idea and best business plan. We thought, hey, why not? Let's apply to it. And suddenly we had 100,000 euros that was invested into our business because we won and we got access to some of the best network or entrepreneurs and distribution in Europe just because of some lucky thing. So that was luck. You, your current job, it was like part of that network thing. The Google executive, it was a network thing. So how big is it? And how can, could people open themselves up to luck more, for example, by sending more of those cold emails and knowing, okay, maybe 99% won't land, but that 1% is worth a thousand or whatever. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and I do. And I just want to quickly touch on something you said about, uh, and I'm a firm, firm believer in this, where you said that a lot of people worship these these big serial entrepreneurs and um, like people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, they have these huge followings of supporters who, who follow their every move. But I think it, it, if everyone realized that they are just people, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, they are, they are people just like me and you, just like everyone listening. And every single person with, I guess, with the right luck, but more importantly, the dedication, the hard work, and um, applying yourself to your craft, you can be the next Jeff Bezos. You can be the next Elon Musk if you, if you just work toward that. And I'm a firm believer in that, that, that everyone can live out their, their true potential. And uh, I guess in terms of the of your question, where uh, network plays a huge role in almost everything, and you, it really makes me wonder: is is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Because there are people with pure talent and pure skill. the The greatest coders, the greatest engineers, may not have such a strong network, and they could really be inversely affected from their career, where they can be top engineers, but they don't have the network to 
put themselves in that executive executive role at, at Google, at Stripe, to or putting themselves in a, a place to raise venture capital. So I think network is extremely important and uh, people should really every day just send a, a LinkedIn note, send a Twitter message to to someone you admire. Chances are they they might not respond, but if they do respond, hey, that's uh that's another connection and the, the worst they could say is no. Let's dive into this because I agree with you. Great engineers, great no-code makers, great minds and people with potential don't know the value, don't know how to, don't understand tactically and strategically how it goes. So can we focus on this? And my first question is, there are two schools of thought when it comes to networking. There is one that speaks about the power of weak ties, which is like, you will have a lot of people you know marginally, but through them, you're opening yourself to a lot more connections and their network that can bring to you a lot more opportunities you cannot get. While people, other people, whether Keith Ferrazzi, who's got your back, that was his book, or um, many other <laughs> who say, no, actually, if you have a lot of connections, you don't have strong ties with any one of them, and they don't have your back. So it's much better to build strong connections with six to 10 people who will support you and you support them and they take you to the moon. Which school of thoughts do you agree with or both, a blend of both? And what are your thoughts on both these strategies? The one of try to get as many acquaintances as possible because through them you can get back access to a lot more networks or a few really solid, deep relationships with people that have potential. And as they grow, you grow with them and they have your back and you have their back and you're investing in each other. Yeah. And that, that's a really interesting concept. So, and I think as an entrepreneur, you have to, you have to do both. I mean, if you, if you really want the, the best probability of success, you, you have to do both where strength comes in numbers and you want to be going to, um, networking events. You want to be cold reaching out to people on a, on a large scale to jump on a 15-minute call with as many connections as possible because a connection is still a connection and you you never know where that could take you. But um, on the other hand, you need your your core group of six people, whether they be advisors or, or mentors who can guide you every step of the way. And um, I want to, uh, I guess really quickly, I want to, I, I can tell a story about how with, with Politically, where I had a, a group of four mentors through, uh, through an MIT program. And um, they are, they've become, through the program, we, we've worked together on a, a weekly basis, just talking through issues like the day-to-day -day issues that an entrepreneur might have. So you, you want to build that core group of four really experienced professionals just to, to help you, to be, a, be an ear to talk to when, when things might uh, go up in smoke. So um, I, and I, I'd like to shout out my mentors who, are, who have been so incredible and so I guess that's my my thinking is you have to do both to to really get the best probability of success. Wonderful. And what is your own method or way or perspective on building relationships when it comes to networking? Because it makes no sense to just send a cold message with an ask. I mean, it's too soon, but also giving, 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 and then not getting anything is uh, taking 
capital and putting it in a, into wasteland or whatever. So how do you balance the whole thing? How do you know whether you're dealing with someone who reciprocates or someone who will take but is not building relational equity how how do you view it how do you see it how do you approach it yeah and um and networking has changed over the course of 2020 and COVID 19 where things for for me at least things used to be very in person going to networking events going to to grab coffee with with someone i connected with and that took a total um change during COVID, where where everything is virtual and uh that actually took down a barrier to entry for for networking. People have time on their hands. They were they were more responsive to, to messages. So I think uh, and personally has worked pretty well for me. You don't want to give an ask on the the first message. You don't want to say I'm raising a round of funding. I would I would love for you to you invest. You you want people you have to play to to people's egos. So that's that's the way I see it. People love to talk about themselves. So you you ask a, a connection, hey, I would love to hear about your experience doing X, or I'd love to hear about your experience working at at Y. And a majority of the time, people want to talk about that experience because it was a great time in their life. And one, you make that really strong connection, and then two, the next time you can, next time you talk to that connection, you can you can put in that ask, oh, I actually applied to this role. Do you mind pushing my resume up the the chain? Oh, I'm I'm raising a round. Do you mind making a, an investor intro? Whereas their relationships aren't built overnight, you have to you have to really work with them and um, check in on the the connection. And then after a few few connections, a few times speaking, then that becomes a, a strong connection. So I think that's the that's the approach I like to take. And um, as the world's coming back to normal, and at least in the the U.S., go out for for coffee with someone, go to go to a networking event. And um, I guess I, I could say really quickly. So uh, just recently, a few about a week ago, I went to my first in-person networking event since since the, the early 2020, and it was almost like a, a culture shock. I I forgot how to to socialize, but um, I think it, it quickly came back to me, and I, I met a lot of people. So don't be afraid to go to those networking events. Don't be afraid to to get out and talk to people. Put yourself out there because the worst that could happen is, is someone says no, and at least you put yourself out there. Thank you, and I would like to clarify. Exactly. So you listen to people, you get to know them, and then you make sure that they know what you're looking for so that if they can help you, they will help you, correct? Yeah, exactly. And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a matter of getting to know someone too. So you, you don't want to just ask before you, you get to know a person. So it's a matter of talking, whatever the conversation may be. If you have a mutual interest you can, you can talk about that and then let the person be aware of, of what you're also working on. You can say, oh, I'm working on a startup. I'm working on this side project. And odds are, if you're, you're on that conversation and you're on that phone call, they're going, they're going to be interested. They, they will ask questions. And within, within a, a limit, they'll, they'll be willing to, to help, whether that be make an introduction or give you feedback on your product. Thank you. Wonderful. And do you treat everyone equally as potential i don't mean i believe in equality and etc but statistically i'm looking for variance and for the pareto principle and we live in a world that's 95 percent five percent where all your future uh, results will come from five percent of the people you know so how do you know that do you believe that we're you can tell in advance somehow 
the people that will be the most impactful in your life or that it's too random and things can come from any unexpected source it, it life is these life is and this is i strongly believe this that every single person no matter who they are you never know where they're going to go in life you treat them the same you should network with them the same um because it, it doesn't take much time to to put that effort in and actually try to make that connection and in the end if you're if you're nice to someone and you are interested in that conversation they're going to remember you and that'll be a a good connection for the future, whether that be five years down the line. Um, a good example of this, people who've become my friends, uh, Colin and Jack from Modern Action, that started off as a just, oh, let, let's talk about uh, each other's products. And th- they were actually on your podcast and then they introduced me to you. And, th- and that's how I'm here today because um, Colin and Jack introduced me. So it's you never know where your, your connections will, will take you. Wonderful. I agree with you very much and they're two wonderful human beings and to make sure also do you have a system for for managing your rolodex and that's an old school term is it maybe like power connector where you have five main people 50 people you contact every week and 100 you contact every month or how do you deal with it do you leave it to chance like when you see someone's name pop up on linkedin you message them or how do you approach follow-up and keeping in constant contact and this which is funny i think constant contact is the name yeah. of a SaaS. <laughs> I, I thought that's cool yeah it's, and i think and uh, i'm going to be honest here i think this is something i need to to be better at where i have a large rolodex of connections and uh, I try my best to to reach out occasionally, whether that be monthly or or bi-monthly for, for some, even some like mentors, I'll, I'll reach out bi-weekly to, to just check in and see how they're doing, whether that be business related or just on a personal basis to, to check in or wish happy holidays or a, a happy birthday. But um, my system, I don't know. I think I need to, to do a better job where I do just, if it comes into my head, I'll, I'll reach out to them or... I'll just remember at the end of the month, oh, I have to reach out to to 10 people. But I don't have um, a set system that I, I think I should implement something like that. I'm wondering if you have any any feedback for a, a good system of that. Yeah, I mentioned that there is a book called Power Connector by, one second, I will tell you, she presents her system in there. I will now search the name of the woman because whenever I look Power Connector, it shows me Power Connectors. So I'll look in Amazon, it's on Kindle. And even before that, some people who might have like 3,000 connections, would you recommend that they trim it down to uh, only 150, 200, or 50, or whatever? Or how do you feel would be uh, the best number of people? Okay, it's by Judy Robinette, mm-hmm. How to Be a Power Connector, the 5 plus 50 plus 100 rule for turning your business network into profits. But anyway, her system is 5, 50, 100, mm-hmm. and it's really wonderful. So Judy Robinette. Mm-hmm. So you said, okay, if I remember 10 people per month, and I'm thinking, well, some people have 3,000. So mm-hmm. if they contacted 10 people per month, that's 120 per year. And then there are 2,900 who are left just mm-hmm. <laughs> not contacted. Yeah, and uh, do you have such a big network? Do you believe it's useful to have that? Because according to many, we evolved to live in a maximum of 150 
a large tribe. And therefore, anything beyond that will just boggle the mind and overwhelm the brain. And therefore, even her system is 100, 100 plus 50 plus 5. That's 155 people to keep in touch with. But maybe you disagree and you have your own different opinion. Yeah, I, I do see where, where that is coming from, where, yes, it would be impossible to, to reach out to, to 3,000 people a month or 3,000 people uh, every few months. But um, I think, yeah, and that would not be a, a good use of time, I think, where you have to pick your, I agree, 5, 10, and, and 150 contacts who are, who are going to be your core connectors, who are the most value add. And that's something that, that's an interesting concept is value add. How do you how do you gauge value add? And that's something I, I try to digest in my mind. What is what is the definition of value add in a, in a specific context? How can this connection be be a value add, as well as how can I be a value add to a connection? Um, but I think you don't want to to cut your network. Whereas I don't want to to cut through. Th- if I have a uh, a network of three thousand people, I think I need to keep them. If I see them, or if I, I see them on, on LinkedIn or Twitter, I'll. I'll say hi. I'll, I'll, I sort of, I guess it's uh, sort of passively keep that connection where you're not reaching out to them monthly or on a, a set schedule, but you want to keep those however many excess of 150 in your life for, uh, for the future. Thank you. And since we were speaking about minority and underrepresented founders, startup uh, owners or makers or whatever, and you re- spoke about the importance of them getting access to all the capital and network networks that already exist. Well, Woody Allen had a funny concept in one of his movies that instead of trying to join the old boys club, start your own. So <laughs> what would you think about instead of trying to join what exists and bend in the reality and maybe there is like things, the habits... And things the way they've been done, there is so much momentum that it, that it's an uphill battle to change them. Mm-hmm. That if minority founders and wealthy minority uh, members, etc., will start their own networks where they gave preferential treatment and access to capital to their people, do you think that will be good or? that the capital that already exists is controlled within those existing networks so much that even if all minority members bonded together, it will be just a drop in the ocean compared to all the money they could get if they uh, g- uh, gained access to the existing networks. Yeah, and this is this is a really great question, Aziz. So I think, and I'm a firm believer in whether it be venture capital tech or or beyond that, if a system is broken, it must be fixed. It must be repaired. And it takes great minds to, to come together and process ideas and have deep discussions about how to fix this broken system. And in terms of venture capital, um, we are seeing those like sort of thesis driven where minority communities are coming together and, and funding each other. But that's not a solution to the, the greater problem. I think I mean, I think that is a good thing. And they're, they're doing amazing work. And um I, I'm all for that, but the greater problem is fixing the the, the distribution of, of capital where it shouldn't have to be minorities only fund minority founders. It should be be equal and um, and robust and just everyone coming together and um, fund, funding the, the amazing companies of, of the future who are building incredible technologies regardless of 
race or your how much wealth your family has and however many connections you have. So I think to, to answer your questions, it would be a good thing, but the overarching problem is you have to fix a, fix a broken system instead of creating a new system. Thank you. And I would like to ask then, if an economist heard this, they will say, no, it doesn't exist because money is fungible. And as long as you bring them a higher ROI, they wouldn't care at all whether your skin tone or background or family, but you're saying it exists. So why is that? Is it a question of trust? Like, oh, we know these people, we trust them, we give them access. Or what would be the basic assumption or wrong thing about the existing system that should be changed in order for more equality and equity to exist? And it's funny because equity in VC is is (laughs) equity, but also equity means equality in other places. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think I may have, yeah, and... Totally. Yeah. There, I am not saying in, in any way in the, a lot of people are saying that VCs are, are not racist. The, there's not a, a single ounce of sort of racism in the, the VC community where everyone is super tolerant. And it, it's not that they don't want to, to fund minority communities because they are minorities. I think the, the greater issue comes down to network where it's VC is network driven and the, the, the 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 system that needs to be fixed is the the network. So it, it, yes, of course, if a, a minority founder came to a came to a VC and was offering the the higher ROI, that that company will be funded in a second. But then there are the the companies that are offering similar ROIs, but the founder doesn't have the network, and that that applies for minority communities. That applies for for white founders who may have come from a, a poorer background and don't have the network. So the the issue is not race, it's more network, where VC is very network driven. Wonderful. So where is the issue there? Is it the founders don't realize the power of network until it's too late and it's like saying uh, when it's raining and you need an umbrella, that's a really wrong time, wrong time to need an umbrella. You should have it already beforehand. So it's about beginning to build the network years before you need it. Or they try to build the network, but they cannot gain access to the right people because they're way outside of their uh, degrees of separation. Or how is it? Is it the founders are not building a network or they're building a network, but it seems to be stuck within yeah. their communities and not reaching the VC networks? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, the thing is, it's that access to capital. So it's the, some of these communities and some of these founders don't have that access to capital because of networking. So that's a, a really great question. I don't know if it's many times it is that founders are networking and they can't, they can't quite get to that, that right person or they, they can't quite get to that, that right VC and get that access to capital. And then it begs the question where, let the like we said, the the most talented maker, the most talented engineer, the most talented no coder. Um, what if they don't have? What if they're not good at networking? There's that that simple skill maybe they're they're missing from their their skill set where they're they're an incredible builder, but they don't have the networking skills. I think that person deserves to to get funded if they're building the the company of the future. But they might just not have the network to 
to get their deck in front of that right person. Thank you. And what would you have as somewhat of final words or advice? Final words of advice. And uh, I want to go back to the one of the first things I said overall too is go for your passion. It may take time. You might not be able to financially, you might not be able to, to full-time pursue it maybe a few years from now, but do everything you can with your ability to one, find out what your passion is, two, pursue that passion and make a plan to to come together and basically do what would make you happy. And there's a few things along the way that you have to do to, to be successful in that, such as such as network, network hard, network like there like there's no tomorrow because people are people are I think ultimately people are good. People want to help. Um, I see myself as someone who, if approached, I would help to the the best of my ability because there's there's some value that comes in helping people. Where if you help someone, the you never know what what they can achieve. So reach out to people. Don't be afraid to to ask for help and uh, uh, get to building and get to shipping. That's 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 what, that's what excites me. Thank you. And I don't want to end because you mentioned something truly important. Mm-hmm. Of course. You said network, network hard. And it's making me think now, you in your experience, let's say, you know, there are many things where um, people will have a challenge of 100 day of no code or 100 day of code where they work on their skill, but it's not on networking. Mm-hmm. Once someone is competent enough, do you believe that doing a hundred days of networking uh, is more valuable than that, than uh, making their skill, taking it from like 99% to 99.2% or whatever it is that networking is that you, for example, how much of your time, theoretically, if the world were ideal, you dedicate in your day to networking and you have a story or two about that has shown you, wow, this is the highest and best use of my time. No matter how busy I am, I will network at least X, Y, Z minutes or hours per day, per week or whatever. Yeah, and uh, that's a really good point. So I think I want to start this with um, with a friend of mine once gave me this, uh, this piece of advice. And uh, I asked a question, something along, how much of the time building politically should I spend um, raising money and, and network. So raising money goes hand in hand with networking. And how much percent of my time should I spend building my product, going out and getting clients and uh, advancing the, the product and my users? And uh, he said to me, he said, um, my friend Zach, he said, um, you need to spend 100% of your time networking and fundraising, and you need to spend another 100% of your time building your product and making it amazing. And that really resonated me with me as a, as a founder, you, you may have a full-time job, you may have um, other responsibilities like family and uh, hobbies. So the, I guess the short answer here is you need to do your, the most you can with, with your time. And um, to, I guess that that's one story that, that resonated with me where the, I think the, the theme of it is you have to work hard. Yeah. There's no substitute for for hard work and putting the time in. And then to, to answer your question, I think, yes, I think it, it is important for, for someone doing whose who's experience is in no code that they should take time out of their day, whether it be only maybe 30 minutes a day for, for 100 days, because it, it doesn't take a long time to network. You could send out about a, you could send out like close to uh, an email a minute to 
send 30 emails a day to, to possible connections for 100 days, look how much you've grown your network in that 100 days. And as the 100 days surpass, you're going to notice uh, a big uptick in your, your performance networking and your, your just ability to, to have a smooth and, and flowing conversation with a, a potential connection. And uh, with time, you, you do get better at networking. And I, it, is an, it is an acquired skill that you learn over time. So I would 100% recommend taking some time out of your day to, to pursue networking. And uh, yeah, go for it, network. Thank you. And on another note, mm-hmm. if you didn't network, how different would your life be? Let's say you didn't network, but you became a genius in some area, but you have no networking network that you built maybe people heard about you two or three people or whatever they came to help you a little bit but how would your life be today if you had no network and no networking ability yeah and no, i guess i guess really quickly off i wouldn't be on this podcast today if i if i didn't network so uh, that's one thing but um yeah going from the the beginning early and um in college i wouldn't have gotten my my internships if I if I didn't network I wouldn't have got it in my my full time job as a, in banking if I if I didn't network with the the people within the bank and then that sort of developed me as a as a person banking is is hard work it teaches you yeah you might work till till two a.m. but um that does teach you it teaches you hard work so that was a great skill that uh, I got through networking and then in starting politically. I had to, to network two sides of the, the spectrum. I had to network with politicians and political consulting firms. But then on the other side, I had to network with developers, people in the tech industry, VCs. And a lot of my time was was spent on networking. And with that being said, I have a really great network with a lot of people becoming my, my personal friends now, like politicians and VCs and people, founders. So um, my life would be very different right now if I, if I didn't network. And I think I've grown to, to love networking and, and love to, to meet new people. And uh, just because everyone has a different story. I love hearing people's story and hearing what they're doing, what they're working on, what, what excites them. And um, sometimes there's more to a network discussion, discussion than business. You, people like to talk about their like, personal things, like hobby, not like hobbies and um, what they do on the weekend. So I, I like hearing that and I like, I like meeting people because you never know where, where that might go. Thank you. And a a small question now about this. Do you believe that there are people you're networking in order to find the people you have the right chemistry with? Or do you try to find what each person cares about and to help them and support them into that? So it's not about chemistry. It's about being a go-giver. Yeah. And I think that it's a little bit of both where... And the one, an important thing to note with, with networking, and this is especially for for makers, builders, and founders, that you uh, you may have a lot of asks, but but when networking, you there's a lot that you can give, whether it's some some of your time to give feedback on what they're working on, and and giving goes a long way. So everyone is gracious that that you give something, and you shouldn't give to to get something in return. However. That giving something is is a sign of a friendship and a sign of okay, this is a, a deep connection that we could make on a, on a business level, on a friendship level, and I think that goes a long way. Just whether it's giving a feedback or making an introduction, that goes a long way. And then, yeah, some people you you may not click with. There there may be no chemistry there, but that doesn't mean it, it can't uh, that person can't be a connection. Um, some people click better than others, but 
I think every every connection, every human interaction ha- happened for a reason. And uh, um, you never know where that'll go. Thank you so much, Nick. And if people want to contact you to know what you're doing uh, to reach out to you, etc., what are the best social media or email or website, etc.? And I will make sure to write it as well in the description so people can also go there and copy and paste it. Yeah, and um, and again, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. And uh, I want to put it out there that if anyone is, is working on, on something they think is amazing, I would love to give feedback on it, make introductions and, and build connections with, with anyone when listening. And that may be a step in the, the right direction for, for someone to learn how to network. So uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter. So um, you can follow me and my DMs are open on Twitter. Send me a DM. Uh, I accept cold DMs. So um, it's Nick, N-I-C-K, Sterlacci, S-T-E-R-L-A-C-C-I. And that's on Twitter. Thank you so much. It was a privilege, an honor, and a great conversation and very enlightening to speak with you, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Aziz. I I really enjoyed this, and I think it was a a wonderful, really, really insightful conversation. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm.